I'm really pleased to introduce to you um, the original Pastor Dave. Uh, this is my Pastor Dave uh, from the E-Free Church that I grew up in in Salmon Arm. And um, this week, as, as I was preparing, um, it was my, uh, a service for my brother who passed away uh, just yesterday. And I didn't want to have to be preaching and prepping for that. And it's been a, a really crazy week. And so I reached out to Dave and asked if he would come and, and, and preach for us uh, this Sunday. And it just turned out that he ended up just, it was really God's providence, I guess I would say, that uh, he ended up leading Jordan's service yesterday too, which was really cool because uh, Dave has known my younger brother since he was about nine years old and was his pastor for a lot of years. He got to baptize him as well, and so it's just really cool that Dave got to be here to, to lead in that service yesterday with us as well, and so he's going to introduce himself a little bit more, but um, I'm just so grateful, Dave, that you were able to be here with us, and we look forward to what God is going to say through you again today. Amen. Thanks very much, Dave. It is great to be here with you. I just counted a real privilege to be here this weekend. Uh, kind of a crazy weekend with the whole COVID thing, but uh, some of you are here, some of us, uh, some are watching by live stream. And uh, this morning, my wife back home in Surrey actually joined the service by live stream, which is very cool. But it's great just to be able to be here this weekend uh, to share this privilege. Uh, as Pastor Dave said, I've known his family for a long time. Uh, I had the privilege of being their pastor. We've walked some interesting roads together. Uh, there have been some rough trails. There have been some uh, glorious trails. There's been some good times, some hard times. And that's just the life of a pastor. It's been a privilege to uh, walk that journey. And then to share yesterday in Jordan's service was just a, a real special privilege. Uh, and, and to be here and see how God's using Pastor Dave in this place. And to see how this church is, is uh, uh, healthy and vibrant and growing uh, with him as a leader and the rest of the staff that are here. It's just a, a real blessing and a real joy for me to be here. So it, it is a privilege. When uh, Pastor Dave called me and told me about the, the series of messages that you as a church are into right now, this whole thing about uh, David after God's heart, uh, looking at First Samuel 30 was kind of where this was supposed to go. And, and I just kind of looked at that and I went, you know, this week is a crazy week. We've got leadership meetings and I didn't feel I could do justice to preparing a a new message on a passage I hadn't really looked at for a long time. And so I, I kind of began to pull around in my, my memory and my file, and uh, there's a sermon that was there that related very well to the theme of what First Samuel 30 in the life of David is all about. And uh, Pastor Dave and I talked about it. We said, yeah, that's the direction we're going to go this morning. So I'm going to kind of deviate a bit from First Samuel 30, but we are going to talk about First Samuel 30 because there's definitely a connection. First Samuel 30 is this amazing story of how David had just led his army of 600 men against the Philistines, and they'd come back victorious from that battle, and they got back to their hometown of Ziklag uh, to discover that while they were gone, the Amalekites had come in, and the Amalekites had kind of routed the city, they had destroyed the city, they had taken all of the women and children as captives, and had taken off with them, and they came back to this, this devastation. And uh, David sought the Lord on this and said, what are we supposed to do? And God said, go after the Amalekites and uh, bring back what belongs to you. And so David rounded up his troops, his 600 men, and said, guys, we're going back to battle. We're heading off to, to fight against the Amalekites. God is going to go with us, and, and we're going to see something good happen here. 600 men, 200 of them said, forget it. We're done. We have, we've been in battle. We're exhausted. We're weary. We can't do this. And so David said, that's great. Stay back here by the brook. Just stay by the river and, and rest and be refreshed, and the 400 of us will go into the battle. 
They did. They were successful. They came back from the battle with the women and children and, and the plunder. And uh, David said, this is awesome. God has done a great thing. We're going to divide the plunder among all of us. But there were some troublesome men that were in the group, and they were going, hey, just a minute. These guys sat here by the river resting, you know, wading in the water, cooling off their feet. Well, we're all in battle. There's something wrong with this. They don't deserve any of the plunder. And David said, just a minute. What we have is because of God's grace. And who are we not to share it? When God has blessed us, we have a responsibility to share it with others. And so the, the plunder was divided among all 600 of the people. We see this incredible evidence of the grace of God. So as I was reflecting on that, I, I came upon this message that I preached a while ago, and I thought, you know, I think it kind of fits in with, with where this is going. It's a picture of the church. And really the story of David, as Pastor Dave has said a couple of times this weekend, it, the story of David is not given to us so that we can look at David and say, here's an example for us to follow. Let's all be like David. Because while David had a heart for God, David had some issues in his life, okay? He struggled with some stuff. And, and we're not called to follow David, but we're called to look at the life of David and see the heart of God and, and ask ourselves, how can we reflect the heart of God as God's people today? Because we are God's people, and God has a heart for his people, and God has a heart for the world, and as God's people, we're supposed to reflect the heart of God for our world, and that kind of led me to this message that I want to share with you this morning. Like I say, a bit of a deviation from uh, the story of David, but definitely a connection. David was a man after God's own heart. We need to be the people of God ourselves. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself. My name, as he said, is Dave Penner. That's my lovely family. I have three sons. Uh, two are married. Uh, one has two sons. One has two daughters. So we have four grandkids between the ages of sort of eight, nine, and ten right now. Uh, we had the privilege of going to Disneyland as a family back in uh, 2018, I guess, to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary and two of our boys, their 10th wedding anniversaries. We said, we'll buy tickets into the park if you provide flights and hotels and all the expensive stuff. And uh, we all got to go to Disneyland together. It was kind of like Grandpa and Grandma took them, except you know, Grandma bought the T-shirts and we bought the tickets and they paid for everything else. So it was a, a good plan. It was a good arrangement. We had a great time and we got to take a family picture, which was awesome. Uh, I serve as the director of the EFCCM. EFCC stands for the Evangelical Free Church of Canada, and the M on the end stands for mission. Uh, I've been a pastor for most of my life, for 38 years. I pastored the local church, 30 of those years were in Salmon Arm. Uh, and then from there, I moved into the role of being the director of all of the international work that the Evangelical Free Church does around the world. We have about 85 to 100 missionaries at any given time, working in 22 different countries, and I have the amazing privilege of uh, visiting those missionaries on the front lines, encouraging them, uh, building them up as they do their work, and challenging them to uh, really get involved in what God is doing in greater ways, and then coming back to Canada with stories of what God's doing, and promoting what God is doing around the world, and encouraging other people to get involved in the game, and get involved in this amazing task we have of fulfilling the great commission of Christ as we've been told to do. And so that's a, a real privilege. It also says on that screen that I'm the Transitional South America Area Director, which means that apart from kind of taking care of the world, I specifically focus in on what's going on in South America in the country of Bolivia, and uh, that's a real challenge and opportunity as well, and I love to see what God is doing. I'll share a little bit more about that. But for the last number of years, uh, the Evangelical Free Church of Canada has been focusing on a theme that we've called revitalize. And the, the revitalizing that we're doing is we want to increase our passion to be gospel-sharing people. Uh, 
we did a survey of our churches. We've got about 140 churches across Canada, uh, 20,000 people or so that attend our churches. We're not a large organization, uh, but we did a survey of our churches. We asked the question, on a scale of, of 0 to 10, what would you say is the, the passion and the effectiveness of your church's evangelistic efforts, uh, the people as they go out and share the gospel? What, where would you say your church rated? And we're not surprised really, but kind of disappointed uh, to realize that across Canada, the, the pastors of churches rated an average of about 4.5 out of 10 for the evangelistic zeal of the local church. I mean, whoa, that's, that's a bit of a problem. Like, what, what's the issue here? Why are people not passionate about sharing the gospel? And, and one of the things we discovered is that the greatest hindrance to sharing the gospel, as people shared from their own lives, was fear. I'm, I'm afraid that I might not have all the answers. I'm afraid that I might kind of mess up. I'm not sure if I know what to say. I'm, I'm afraid that people might reject me or laugh at me or it, it might be difficult for me if I'm too bold in my witness. And so fear seemed to be the thing that was holding people back from really getting out there and sharing the gospel. And so as we began to think about that, uh, I kind of developed this little pet project of mine uh, that as the director of the mission, I, I get to do kind of alongside what else I'm doing. I, I don't want to just sit in the office and push papers. I want to be out there on the front lines myself. And so we developed a project that we called GOALS. And the, the letters stand for Global Outreach Evangelism Strategy. And basically the principle is this. We uh, gather up a team of people from local churches who say, you know, I'd really like to be more passionate about sharing the gospel myself, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. And so we take these people and we teach them two things. How to tell your story of what God has done in your life in an effective way that can bridge to telling his story of what God has done in your life in order that we can introduce it to people and God can become part of their story as well. So a very simple method of sharing your testimony and sharing the gospel that is very effective in many different settings. So we teach people how to do that. Then we take them as a team to a place in the world where people are responsive to the gospel. And uh, I'll tell you a bit in some of the places we've gone to, but we go there and we come alongside the local church. We instruct the local church. We want you to invite the hardest people to reach out to with the gospel, your family, your friends, your co-workers. Invite them into your homes for little gatherings and we will come and we'll share the gospel, we'll share our testimonies, and we'll invite people to receive Christ. We're training the local believers how to do this same method of evangelism we're launching them into a path of discipleship with the new believers where they're responsible to follow up the new believers and our missionaries come back to Canada with a renewed passion. I can actually do this. So we've had the privilege of going to the Philippines uh, a number of times. This is on my first trip to the Philippines. I worked with a little church called the Dingley House of Praise. Pastor Christian Teodosio and his family are there. Uh, his two boys are compassion kids, actually, and we sponsor them. And... Uh, Pastor Chris considers me like his spiritual dad. He calls me dad, and his kids call me Lolo. And if you're uh, familiar with the Filipino culture at all, that's a term of endearment for grandpa. So uh, our own compassion kids are our grandchildren, our Filipino grandchildren, and that's our family, and they're pastoring this church. We went out, Pastor Chris and I just went out doing this, visiting home to home, and we saw many people coming to Christ. Uh, that was five years ago. In fact, five years ago, right now, is when we were there. And as we went around sharing the gospel, many people gave their lives to Christ, and the Lord blessed that ministry. Uh, this is what Dingley House of Praise looks like now. They've uh, built a huge education wing on the upstairs, and that is their children's ministry, and that's a couple of years ago. It's grown since then. They now have over 500 children in their children's ministry, and most of those kids are compassion kids, 
being sponsored by people from North America and all over the place. And uh, these kids are learning the gospel. The families are being reached. The church is growing. They've planted three other churches in three communities in the last five years, just continuing to go out and share the gospel uh, after we had been there to do that. We were seeing some great things happening in the Philippines, so we said, let's try this somewhere else and see if it can work in another place. So we recently have gone to Rwanda, and there you see us meeting with some of the church leaders in Rwanda, doing some training with them. Uh, that's one of the churches we've worked with. And we just went out onto the, the, the muddy, dirty roads of Rwanda and, and Africa and just shared the gospel with people, visiting them on the roads, visiting them in their homes, and seeing people respond. In fact, I just came back from Rwanda recently. I was there in the month of January. We had a team of eight of us from Canada, uh, five Rwandans that were working with us as translators, and uh, we went out and shared the gospel, and God did amazing things. In two weeks, we saw 367 people respond positively to the gospel message as we went home to home and, and shared the gospel. It was exciting to see people respond to Christ. One very cool story that I'll quickly tell, and then I have to really get to my sermon, is that uh, there's one of the guys on our team uh, who had a, uh, uh, his, his teammate was a young lady, and they were going around, and they, got, they, they met this woman on the road, on the street in the city of Rababu, where we were working, and uh, this, uh, they began to share the gospel with her, and, and this woman goes, this is, this is exciting, I, I'm so thrilled to hear this story, and she was responding to the gospel, and she said, but you know, this is a message that the, the, the women who work for me actually need to hear as well, and it turned out that this woman was a madam who had uh, 30 prostitutes that were working for her, and she said, my girls need to hear this message, can you come back and share with them? So they came back a couple of days later, 18 of the 30 prostitutes were gathered in this room, and they began to share the gospel. Twelve of these girls literally fell on their knees, repenting of their sin, crying out to the Lord, saying, forgive us for the way we've been wrecking homes and wrecking families by the work that we do, and, and they gave their lives to Christ. Next Sunday, 12 of them, all 12, showed up in church on Sunday morning. Can you imagine what your church service would do if suddenly 12 prostitutes were locked in on Sunday morning? And they kind of came in, and they were sitting in the front row, and they are excited about what God was doing in their lives. And the pastor did a very wise thing. The pastor said, listen, each of these young ladies needs a spiritual mom. And, and they assigned a woman from the church to take this new believer under their wings and guide them as they began this journey. This woman, the madam, who was looking after these girls and who had opened the door for this gospel presentation, came and said, listen, can you train me how to share the gospel? Because I'm part of a network of 3,000 sex trade workers here in Rwanda, and all of them need to hear this message. What an amazing open door. Just going and saying, we want to just tell people about Jesus. And the Lord makes the way to make a difference through the transforming power of the gospel. And so we've had the privilege of seeing a number of people come with us on these teams. And we're looking forward to going back to Rwanda again, back to the Philippines and other places around the world to share the gospel in this way. I've given 38 years of my life to being a pastor in a local church. And I've always believed that when the local church is healthy, when the local church is doing what it should be doing, the local church really is the hope of the world. Now, we know that Jesus ultimately is the hope of the world. We know that the gospel message is what gives hope to the world. But, but when it really comes down to it, that has all been given to us as a church. And the ministry of reconciliation, the, the ministry of completing what Jesus began has been given to us. And so we as local churches have a responsibility to bring hope to our communities, to our nation, to our world. And we're living in desperate days, folks. We're living in difficult days, days of great challenge. As we look at our nation, we see a nation that has turned away from God to a large degree. 
secularism has taken over. The idea of bringing God into the marketplace is uh, rejected. I, the, the office I work out of is on the campus of Trinity Western University. And if you follow what's happened there with the idea of opening a law school and the opposition, you know, Christians shouldn't be able to train lawyers because Christians are actually a threat to society here in Canada. That's sort of the message that's coming across. Christians aren't safe. Christians have issues. And, and those are the kind of things that we're fighting against. And, and so we have this secularization of our culture. We have a, a very liberal way of thinking that kind of goes against a lot of the values that, that we hold dear as believers. And uh, we, we live in a time when it's a difficult time for the church, but probably the best of times, because we have this amazing opportunity to present the gospel in a world that so desperately needs to hear it. And then we do this whole COVID thing, where people are living in fear. People don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do with their fear. And so they all go to Costco and buy toilet paper. It's like, what else should we do? Like, I don't know how to handle this. The government's not telling me. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I drove by Costco on 64th and Langley, just up the street from where I live, uh, just coming up here yesterday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning. The lineup outside of Costco was halfway around the building. I thought everybody in Langley had toilet paper already, but apparently not. They're still buying more. And, and, and there, there's this, this fear that grips us because we don't know where to turn. And when people in the world are being driven to fear by the media or whatever else it might be, we have hope. We have a message that cuts across all of that and that offers hope in our world. And that's why we need to be passionate about sharing the gospel. And that's what, what I see in, in the story of David. We see this picture of the grace of God unfolding and, and David being generous in sharing the, the blessing that he has received with others. And as we talk this through, we'll see how that applies so much to who we are as a church. We're to be churches that are called to be prevailing churches. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're in this day of spiritual battle. The gates of hell seem to be pretty strong. But Jesus made a promise. The church would prevail over the gates of hell. The gates of hell would be brought down by the church. We know the end of the story. We know that one day we will gather around the throne of the Lamb and there will be people from every tribe and nation and language giving praise and glory to the Lamb. We know that victory is ours. But we're called to be in this world, to be the, the church, to be these people that have a heart for God and God's heart for the world and that bring this message of hope to the world in which we live. Father, we just pray as we look at your word together for a few minutes tonight that you might just grip us in a new way with who we need to be in the world as we try to live out this, uh, this calling that you put on our lives, to be people with the heart of God, people who reflect your heart in our world. And Lord, we pray that you just challenge us and encourage us and motivate us in new ways this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about this whole concept of being that kind of a church, and I wondered, could we find an example somewhere? of a church that was actually a, a prevailing church, a church that had the characteristics that we need. And I found one, fortunately, right here in the Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 11 talks about the church in Antioch. Starting at verse 19, if you have a Bible or an electronic device that can point you to uh, Acts chapter 11, follow along as I read Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. And as I'm reading, don't just listen, but think through what are some characteristics that this church in Antioch had that would Guide us in understanding the kind of characteristics we need to have as a church. Beginning at verse 19, Acts 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. 
Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord and with, with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So what are some of the characteristics of this healthy, vibrant, prevailing church in a difficult day? Well, the first thing I see is that this was a church where everyone was involved. When this persecution thing started, it was the believers that were scattered. Acts 8 tells us that the leaders of the church, uh, the, the, the big names, all stayed in Jerusalem. And it was just average, ordinary people like you and me who were scattered throughout the entire world because of this persecution. Now, if you recall, when Jesus was here on earth, his last words to his disciples before he ascended was, you'll see, receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What happened? This wonderful church was formed in Jerusalem. It was an awesome church. It was the church we all want to belong to. Like they had potlucks all the time. They got together, they, they broke bread, they ate, they shared. If anyone had a need, everybody else got around and helped meet that need. People were selling stuff to give to others so that they could help. It was a phenomenal church. They got great teaching. I mean, the apostles were there teaching them regularly. And, and the Bible actually says they were gaining favor with all the people. But this amazing church wasn't doing what Jesus had called them to do. He said, get out of Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. And they were just hanging out because it was awesome to be the church. They were comfortable. And somehow, in God's sovereignty, this beautiful church that was reaching out and healing people and sharing the good news of the gospel was seen as a threat to society. It was seen as a, a threat to the religious system. And so Stephen, who was one of the leaders of the church, was martyred. And persecution began against the church. Does that kind of sound like the day in which we live? Where, where we're, just, we're just trying to do what God has called us to do and be good people in our world and share the love of Jesus and we're seen as a threat to society. So the church was scattered. I don't know what it's going to take for us to get nudged out of our comfort zone. We love our church. We love getting together with our people and, and having small groups and praying together and studying. And that's all good. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to get out of that place where we come together to be nurtured and from there to go out and share the gospel with others to the far ends of the earth. And so that's what began because of the persecution of Stephen. And it was everyone. It was lay people. It was ordinary people. There are no big names. It just says, those who are scattered. Guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. They were, it was just believers. They were going out and were sharing the gospel and doing what God had called them to do. 
all of us are to be involved in this task of sharing the gospel. Occasionally I've heard people say, well, I, I don't have to do that because I don't have the gift of evangelism. I have other gifts. So I thought, I'm going to check that out. So I went through my Bible and I read and read and read and I don't ever find a gift of evangelism mentioned. If you find it, send me a text, okay? Dave, you're wrong. I found the gift of evangelism. What I do find in Ephesians 4, 4? Yeah, it's 4. I find that there's the gift of evangelist listed along with the pastors and the teachers whose task is to equip God's people so God's people will get out there and do the work. So evangelists are given to the church so that all of us can be equipped and go out and share the good news of the gospel with others. We all need to be involved. If we're going to be a, a church that will prevail, if we're going to reflect the heart of God, we've all got to participate. But then there's another characteristic I see. As they were sharing the gospel, we see that these believers were willing to cross cultural boundaries. It says that most of the Christians were scattered around and they were sharing the gospel only with Jews. That's kind of typical. We look for people who are like us, who dress like us, who think like us, who act like us. Those are the people we're most comfortable with. And that's who they were sharing the gospel with, except at Antioch. In Antioch, they also shared the gospel with the Greeks. There were some people who weren't quite like them, who didn't think like them or act like them, and they were willing to cross those boundaries to share the gospel as well. I, I don't know what Kamloops looks like exactly. I've driven around a little bit, and I've seen a bit of a sense of it. I lived in Salmon Arm. Salmon Arm was a community where most of the people kind of looked like me. And then I moved to Surrey, where I live now. That's more like what my neighborhood looks like now, okay? I, I, we went to the, the Canada Day celebrations in Surrey a couple of years ago. We walked in and we went, we're the only white people here. Like, Surrey has a lot of Canadians that don't look like me. And I understand that Kamloops has people at the university and stuff that come from all over the world. That's phenomenal. It's an exciting opportunity for us to bring the gospel to the nations as the nations come to us. But there's some risks involved in that. We have, to, we have to be willing to cross some barriers in order for that to happen. I, I love the picture of the temple. I, I, I think I understand some of what was going on here because these Jews had grown up in a system. And I, I just want to try to portray that for you. Let's imagine that this is the, the greater temple area. Over here, this screen represents the curtain that covers the Holy of Holies. I don't know if the drum kit actually matches the Ark of the Covenant, but let, let's imagine that there's not drums in there, that there's an Ark of the Covenant, and that's where the presence of God is, in the Holy of Holies. There's a curtain covering it, and once a year, one man appointed as a high priest can go into that curtain, into the presence of God, on behalf of the people, once a year. That's it. Around that Holy of Holies, there's a place that's called the Holy Place. Let's imagine this stage is the Holy Place. That's where the priests do their thing. They offer sacrifices. They, they do their priestly functions. And, and they're, they're pretty close to God. But once a year, only one of them can actually go into the presence of God. There's a curtain that divides it. And then there's a wall around the holy place. And outside of that wall, you have a, a courtyard that's designated for Jewish men. This is where Jewish men can come. They, they can get fairly close to God, not as close as the priests, and for sure not as close as the high priest, but they can get pretty close to God. They can kind of worship him from a bit of a distance. And then there's another wall. And on the outside of that wall is where the women get to worship. Now, women don't, you know, 
they don't really get to be where the men are. The men are kind of cool, and they deserve to be closer to God. Women, after all. Well, we're not going to go there. But, but, that, but the women had to be out there. And then there was another wall, and outside of that wall is where the Gentiles were. Now let me ask, are there any Jewish men here today? I didn't think so. So we're all back, like, like we're behind the women. We're, we're way out there in the back, far from God. And Ephesians tells us in chapter 2 that when Christ died, the curtain was torn, the presence of God was made accessible to everyone, and the dividing walls came down. I love the fact that you sang a song about that, about dividing walls coming down because of Jesus. But friends, we have a problem. As Christians today, we're often guilty of building walls again. I don't know what the walls are. Do you remember the story of David? There are troublesome men. There are troublesome men who said, these guys do not deserve to participate in the grace of God. And I wonder, are there some people, you you probably wouldn't say it in words because that would be inappropriate. After all, you are a follower of Jesus. (laughs) I wonder if in our hearts sometimes we look at some people and go, I'm not sure that they deserve to participate in the grace of God. Twelve prostitutes showing up in church on Sunday morning. That's pretty radical for the church in Rwanda. Prostitutes are really looked down on. For these women just to walk into church on Sunday morning. I, I had a friend. I had a conversation with her a number of years ago. I was just in the middle of doing a counseling situation with somebody whose life was really messed up and and they're fairly new believers, and they had all kinds of baggage. And, and I came home, and we had these guests at our place, and I was telling them about what I was doing. And I can't believe that this woman actually said these words. She said, you know, that's the problem with all this evangelism we're doing. The church used to be such a nice place, and now it's getting so messy. I was horrified. <laughs> Did those words actually come out of your mouth? I was I was shocked. I wonder if we feel that way sometimes. We, we love our people that are like us. And suddenly these unbelievers come in and new believers come in and, and things get kind of messy in the church. And, and, and maybe we have some people that we go, I'm not sure if they actually deserve the grace of God. We, we know the bridge to life illustration. We've all seen it. Sinners over here, God over here, big gap in between, sin, eternal death. We try to do good stuff, it doesn't work. But then God provides an answer. Jesus comes, builds a bridge, and we can go over that bridge and experience eternal life. And once we've gone over to this side and we're experiencing eternal life, we holler at the people over there and we say, hey, look, at there's a bridge. It's Jesus. If you just come across this bridge, you can get over here where I am. And you can kind of join this wonderful thing that I'm a part of. I'm a part of the church. And you can become one of us. But you come across the bridge. And people over here are going, What's your problem? I'm okay. I'm a pretty good person. I I don't need any bridge. I'm fine. Or maybe they're just caught up in addictions and bondage and they feel lousy about themselves and they're struggling with life and they're going, I'm unworthy of the love of God. And maybe what we need to be doing is coming across the bridge ourselves and going to where these people are and tearing down some of the walls and building bridges into their world. We talked about Dave's brother, Jordan. 
When I baptized him as a 16-year-old, David gave us his baptism verse, 1 Corinthians 10.33, where Paul talks about becoming a servant to everyone so that many might be saved. And that was David or Jordan's passion as a young person. Jordan struggled with a life of addictions and fear, and, but, but he loved Jesus. He had a heart for the marginalized, the people that were out there that nobody else was reaching out to. And we heard over and over again yesterday in his service about how, how David was, or Jordan was just reaching out to these people who so desperately needed the gospel. Because of his own awareness of his own pain, he was willing to go to people who were in pain. And, and maybe more of us need to be willing to do that, to cross over and build bridges, to tear down walls, to go to the people that we're maybe not comfortable with and share the gospel. Because that's what we do. And in this world in which people have rejected Christ and where people live in fear and they don't know what to do, somebody needs to go and say, listen, there's hope. There's a possibility of you being set free. There's a possibility of you receiving life instead of death. And that's the message that we proclaim. We need to be willing to cross those barriers, to tear down the walls and share the gospel. And we see that as they did that, they proclaimed the message of Jesus fearlessly. They were bold in their proclamation. It's not culturally relevant or culturally appropriate these days to say that we have the truth. Because there are many truths, aren't there? We might dip out of the river with different cups, but we're all dipping out of the same river or something. (laughs) No, there's there's only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father but for me. We, we've been entrusted with that message. So we can get arrogant about that, right? Ooh, look, we have the truth. Or we can become humble and go to a broken world and say, we have been entrusted with this amazing message of hope in Jesus. And no matter where you go, you're going to come up empty. There's only hope in Jesus. That's the only way. And we get to share that message humbly and graciously in a world that's hurting, in a world that's broken. And we need to do it fearlessly. We need to be bold in our proclamation. I came to understand that in a new way in a trip I made a couple of years ago to Lebanon. I visited the city of Lebanon. That's uh, uh, Beirut flying into Lebanon. And uh, we, we encountered the Evangelical Free Church of Lebanon. I had no idea there was an Evangelical Free Church in Lebanon, but there is. And those men that you see there are, are men that have been sent out from the Evangelical Free Church of Lebanon. Many of them uh, Muslims who have come to faith in Christ and are now going back to the Muslim world throughout that entire area of the Middle East. But this young guy in the corner, I'd like to tell you about. His name is Pastor Shant. Shant is the pastor of the Evangelical Free Church of Damascus in the country of Syria. I didn't know there was an Evangelical Free Church in Damascus. Shant gets up and preaches every Sunday and has no idea if he's going to be in jail on Monday. He leads people to Christ, and the people that he leads to Christ, some of them disappear. Some of them end up in jail, some of them end up dying because they get baptized and make a stand for Jesus. And Sean showed me the logo of his church. And he, he showed me that there's a cross in that logo. And he said, you know, in your churches, you have crosses. And you look at the cross, you go, I love the cross. The old rugged cross. I said, Jesus died so I can have salvation. And we love to sing about the cross. He said, we put a cross in our logo because we tell people, if you're going to be part of this church, you need to understand what Jesus meant. And he said, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily like every day, take up your cross because today you might die.
because you're a follower of Jesus. So take up your cross today and follow Jesus all the way to the cross if that's what it's going to take. That's why we have a cross in our Lord to remind us that we are called today to die daily and be willing to actually die daily for the cause of Christ. We were introduced to a young Syrian family that had come to faith in Christ, refugees living in Lebanon, a mom and her four kids, two boys, two girls, came to faith in Christ. Some of their connections, their relatives that were among the ISIS people had heard about their salvation and came to her and said, I understand that you become a follower of Jesus. She said, yes, I have. They said, you have 30 days to turn your back on Jesus. If you don't, to deny your faith, if you don't, we will come and kidnap your children. Your daughters will become sex slaves of the ISIS army. They were about 12 and 14 at the time. And your sons will be killed. You have 30 days. Moms, what did you do? You know what she did? She brought her children together. She said, kids, we will never turn our backs on Jesus. We will continue to stand for him because he is the only way. He is our only hope. We need to be bold as we proclaim the message of Jesus because there is no other way. There is no other hope for our world. And so we need to proclaim the message of Jesus boldly, no matter what. And then I just love this, and I know my time is over, and I'm going to just squeeze this in real quickly here because this is actually the heart of what I want to share with you. There was something else we can't overlook in this passage, and that's that this church was characterized by grace. Antioch. Barnabas hears about what's going on, comes up from Jerusalem, and it says, and when he got there, he found evidence of the grace of God. I, I think that's awesome. What's that church all about? It's about grace. That's what I see when I go there. I see grace. In our world today, often, we are accused of being hypocritical and judgmental. Why? Maybe because we're hypocritical and judgmental. Maybe. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to offer salvation. But often, we as believers are in that place where we're condemning the world. We rant on Facebook about it. The world needs to see grace in us. Not, they don't need to hear condemnation from us. They need to see evidence of grace. They need to hear us extending this message that no matter what. Wh why do we do this? Huh. Pretty simply, because grace was lavished on us, it says in Ephesians. Paul said he was the worst of sinners, so I can't be the worst one, but I'm, I'm probably second worst. I'm, I'm pretty bad <laughs> if it weren't for Jesus. If it wasn't for the grace of Jesus in my life, I wouldn't be the awesome guy that I am. I'll just, just say it, okay? Uh, I'd be, I, I wouldn't be that fun. But because of grace, because we receive grace. David comes back from the battle, and, and there's 200 guys sitting by the pool, you know, enjoying their time on the lounge chairs. 400 guys in the battle. He said, we're going to share it with everybody. Why? Because it wasn't us. It was God. It was God and his grace that gave the Amalekites to us. And so we're going to just share generously with everybody who was involved, even the guys back here guarding the stop while we were in battle. We're just, going to, we're just going to share it because none of us actually deserve it because it's all just by God's grace. And, and that's the attitude. That's where we see the heart of God in David. And that's the heart of God that we need to have. We need to be the most grace-filled people on this earth. One of the key indicators, the health of the church, is the greatness of our grace, not the greatness of our work. Grace has been lavished on us. The church at Antioch also understood what it meant to be disciples of Jesus. This is where they were first called 
Christians. It's not a name they gave themselves. It's what other people said. Oh, you? You're a, a little Christ. You're a Christ person. That's what Christian actually means. When people wanted to know what Jesus was like, oh, I know, just look at that guy. That's where you'll see Jesus. And so I wonder, in the places where you recreate, men, do some of you play in a hockey league when you're on the ice? Maybe we shouldn't mess with hockey. Maybe that's an exception. But, no, I don't think it is. Where, where we recreate, where we live, where we play, where we go to school, where we go to work, people should look at us and go, oh, I know that person. They're just like Jesus. They're just like Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? Look at him. Christian. That's what it means. How did this come about? Well, Paul and Barnabas went and they did what Jesus had told them to do. They taught the new disciples to obey the things that they had learned. To be obedient to the word of God. And they were. And they were called Christians. What a wonderful, wonderful testimony. And then there's just one more thing. At the end of this passage, you hear about this famine. And when I was reading that in the service this morning, I was going, they heard about COVID-19, you know? And they went, wow, we live in a world that's hurting. What can we do? We can be generous. There's a famine coming. These guys weren't rich. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9 tells us that they gave out of their poverty, but they gave generously and cheerfully because God loves cheerful givers. And they just gave out of the, the little that they had, they gave generously to help those in need. And folks, we live in a needy world where we as Christians should be, should be seen as the most gracious people, the most generous people. Those are the things that need to characterize us in this day in which we live. That's the heart of God. That's what the heart that we need to have for our world. Paul talked about the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. I'm obligated. Because of this gospel, I have an obligation to the world to share it with others. And I'm eager to share the gospel with others. And I'm not ashamed. May we be those kind of people in our world that are recognizing our obligation. And they're eager to share this gospel. It's not up to the professionals. We all need to be involved. We need to be willing to get out of our comfort zone, to cross barriers, to tear down dividing walls, to build bridges. We need to demonstrate grace to one another and extend grace to the world in order to earn the right to be heard as we proclaim the gospel boldly because it's the power of God that will transform lives and communities. May we be known as Christ people as we faithfully carry the good news wherever we go. For some of you, that might be across the street. For some of you, it could be around the world, through Rwanda or the Philippines or someplace else where God's calling you to go and represent him. God wants to do something greater in you and through you so that his glory will be seen. Loving Father, we just stop right now and we just give ourselves to you and pray that we might have the heart of God, a heart after God and the heart of God. Be gracious, generous people who boldly proclaim the gospel, who demonstrate your love in practical ways in order that the world that so desperately needs hope and life will understand that message, that many will come to you, and you will get all the glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.